So thank you for being here. I know we are competing with the pub crawl. So we were just talking about how many of you here don't like beer. That's why you're here. How many of you really love study markers and advertising? And that's why you're here. Let's hope it's more of the latter. <laughs> anyway, we have, a, we have a pretty good session here today for you. Hopefully, it'll be um, as exciting for you as it was for us putting it together. Uh, my name is Aslam Khadir. I'm the Chief Product Officer of AWS Elemental. Uh, we are the video group within AWS that uh, produces the media services that hopefully many of you are using. I'll go over the agenda and then I'll have, uh, have my partners in crime introduce themselves. So I'll just spend a few minutes going over the OTT content delivery and monetization industry where things are just to kind of level set. Uh, then I'll hand over to Alex who will talk about uh, our server-side ad insertion solution there called AWS Elemental Media Tailor. And uh, once he goes over that, Mark Warner, who also, will also introduce himself, will go over the Pac-12 journey about how they incorporated server-side ad insertion into their workflows. And then we'll end up with conclusions and some questions that we're welcome from you. So again, uh, we've been, uh, as, as, as part of Elemental, we got acquired about three years ago by AWS. And since then, we've been fully integrated. So we are all AWS now. Um, we retain the Elemental brand only because there's some value in that brand from a video perspective uh, from, for, for products. But from an organization and a, from a service perspective, we are completely AWS. And I'll let Alex introduce himself and then pass on to Mark. Sure. Um, I'm Alex Zhang. I'm the product manager for Media Tailor, which is our um, ad insertion and manifest manipulation service on AWS. Uh, before that, I was product manager for CloudFront. So if you have any CDN questions or ad insertion questions, feel free to shoot them my way. Anything else, I'll defer to Aslam. He knows more than I do. Hey, and I'm Mark Kramer. Whoa, it's pretty loud. Um, I am a VP of Engineering and Technology at Pac-12 and Pac-12 Networks. I'm responsible for our software engineering team, infrastructure, broadcast engineering, uh, data analytics, IT, and network operations. Ooh, quite a mouthful. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> So thank you for being here, we appreciate it. And uh, so let me just uh, spend a few minutes talking about uh, the state of the, of the industry. Um, as we all know, over the last few years, if you look at the slide here, uh, digital or in the internet has overtaken TV in terms, of the, in terms of advertising. So you see the advertising dollars here. Um, so we are at about $116 uh, billion in the internet versus uh, about $75 billion on TV. And you can see the growth is obviously a lot more rapid for internet versus TV. And that's not surprising. Internet comprises all forms of OTT delivery. Um, but if you, take, if you take the internet business and you see within that what's growing, you'll see that video is growing pretty rapidly. It's probably the fastest growing on a CAGR basis as compared to the other forms of advertising that are there in, the, in that particular section. And then if you take TV itself and you look within television and see how is that stacking up, uh, you'll see that digital video within that marketplace is growing substantially while the rest of television is pretty much stagnant. Okay. And that's all kind of good news for all of us because we're all in the kind of the digital business in a way. So, the fact that digital is growing rapidly, whether that's in TV or on the internet, which is all digital, video on the internet, uh, is, is kind of a good thing. So just to kind of give you an idea about when we talk about video advertising, what do we really mean? 
So today we'll focus on server-side ad insertion, which is really about inserting ads in the video stream. It's not so much about putting video ads on your web page, um, which is a separate kind of a business. So I just want to talk about in the video stream, normally you'll have what's called a pre-roll, a linear ad that goes before the content that you're about to watch, followed by the content or a section or a segment of the content, followed by ads again, which are called mid-rolls, and then ultimately the last section, and after that, you may end up having a post-roll at the end of it. So all of those, all of that's video, pre-roll video, mid-roll video, and post-roll video, tend to be, is basically what we're talking about. In addition to that, obviously many organizations are beginning to, because this is digital and you have the ability to do this, on desktop, on mobile, is to have uh, other complementary kind of advertising going along. And that's kind of what's showing up here, as in the companion ad, uh, et cetera, that shows up, or the overlay that goes on your video, on your main content. We're not going to address that as much, though we do support it through, the, through a, a, a protocol called vPay that allows you to do these companion and interactive ads. OK. And then just to kind of set the stage again here is that what ad completion tends to be an important factor in this area, because it's all on demand in a way. So how, how much of the ad is seen by consumers tend to, tends to be important, because that's what we get paid against, or people who have inventory gets, get, get paid against. When you talk about CPMs, or cost per thousand of ads, then it's based on how many thousand of those ads were actually viewed in their totality, or over a certain amount uh, that you get paid against. And you can see here that, in general, mid-roll ads tend to be more uh, more popular only because it's in the middle of the content, and as a consumer, I'm invested in that content. So I'll, I'll see the ad and then continue to watch the content. If it's pre-roll or post-roll, you know, people either abandon the content or and, and as it's post-roll, they simply just exit the player. Okay. So then if you really look at digital advertising at large and see how, how does that actually operate, Alex will go through a lot of detail as to how MediaTaylor works with this. But in general, this shows like a, a player-side insertion solution where you have uh, markups in your HTML, and that's basically what the player interprets. If there's an ad opportunity, it goes off, makes a call against a publisher website or an ad server. The ad server responds with a, uh, with a link as to what ad needs to get played. Uh, once the link is there, then the, uh, the player then retrieves the ad from the content distribution network and then delivers the, delivers the ad on the player. And then, essentially, there's a marketing ad server which is used for recording the impression. So the impression is recorded so that this can be counted. And at the end of you know, whatever that period may be, the, the total number of impressions are added up. And that's what the advertiser pays against. Okay. So this is generally how digital advertising works uh, today, mostly. And if you look at video, then video, essentially, there's a slightly uh, a different complication here. because. Video is delivered in a number of different formats in these, in these devices. So today, the majority of video tends to be delivered in the HLS format, which is the Apple format, it's, uh, uh, which is used on most Apple devices and also non-Apple devices. That's the most popular format, uh, packaging format. MPEG Dash, which is coming up fast and strong now, uh, is the industry standard format, and that's the one that is uh, rapidly taking over or, be, or becoming more and more popular. The rest of the formats tend to be kind of, of uh, fading away. So a few years ago, we had a lot of format wars going on. And there was you know, Microsoft Smooth Streaming. There was 
RTMP with Flash and uh, HLS and Dash and all of those were around and then Dash, essentially Microsoft said, okay, we're gonna abandon Smooth in favor of Dash. So they put their whole weight behind Dash. So now Dash and HLS are the two dominant formats and we expect that to continue. Um, and there is a, a, a movement within that, within the community called CMAF, which kind of starts, tries to bring these two together from an essence perspective, which is the content, even though each of them has their own manifest, which represents what that, uh, which details out what the content is, uh, which makes it a little bit easier for all of us. And all of this is now dictated through a, uh, through basically IAB, or the Interactive Advertising Bureau, which has a, number of uh, standards that they've put out there that are being utilized extensively in video advertising on in, in, in digital. And the ones that are of most relevant to us here are the vast formats of VAST. And you'll see that in this slide, it shows how we went from one to two to three to now four, VAST 4.0. Most of the systems out there are still pretty much on VAST 3, but they're beginning to migrate to VAST 4, which provides uh, some additional capabilities. So all of that is open information. If you go to iab.org, uh, you can get all of the standards, you can download them, you can look at them, uh, and they're really, really good in terms of giving you a good background on how this whole advertising business works. Okay, so what are the challenges in digital advertising as I lead into you know, how we are solving some of these challenges? So there are three main challenges. The first one is that Half of the ads worldwide still don't have the opportunity to be seen. This is called a, dis, a, a viewability issue or a display viewability issue. It doesn't matter that much in video as such when you talk about in-stream video. It does matter in video that's part of your web page because you end up scrolling up and down and the video scrolls above your line of sight and then it's not viewable anymore. So there is a lot of viewability related issues, not so much in the, in the space that we are, that we are gonna talk about, which is in-stream video advertising. But nonetheless, it's good to know, overall, this is a challenge that the digital advertising business faces. The second one is ad fraud. I think we all are aware of this ad fraud issue, but there is a lot of ad fraud that happens, which there are bots that are essentially are, are put out there that are behaving like consumers and consuming ads that, are, uh, that the advertisers are paying for, that the inventory people get paid for, but they're not really seen by any human. So there's a lot of ad fraud, and the kind of ad fraud is getting more and more sophisticated. If you look and see as to, you know, in this chart, the, the, the sophisticated versus, versus the simple ad fraud, you'll see that the sophisticated ad fraud is getting more and more. This, there's a whole industry around this. It's very much like your, like your um, like a security industry where you know the, the 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 bots get more sophisticated and then the people who are challenging them get more sophisticated with how they address it. But this tends to be a big issue with advertising as well. Again, not something that is a huge impact on us, but it does make some impact. The key one that we are trying to address uh, is 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 one of ad blocking, and ad blocking is becoming is now becoming a, glo a global phenomenon. So it's it is, it is across the world, there is ad blockers that you can install on any device, and the ad blockers work in a particular way. The ad blockers essentially sense, they understand a set of ad domains, so if there's an ad domain call to that domain, there's a call to that domain, they essentially block that call. And whether that call is to retrieve an ad and display it, or whether that call is to send an impression count, they block it, and when they block it, then the advertiser 
uh, essentially, um, sorry, the, uh, the, the person who owns the inventory, the publisher, doesn't get paid for that ad because that ad isn't fetched, isn't displayed, and therefore there's, there, there are no impressions counted. Some of these ad blockers have gotten quite sophisticated where they would, uh, where they are, they are, they block the actual impression count, but not the ad, which is the worst of both cases. Where, as a publisher, you know the your your the your, your consumer is seeing the ad, but you're not getting paid for it because the ad impression that is being sent is being blocked off. So there are many ways in which uh, these ad blockers are getting more and more sophisticated, and as a and, and one of the areas that that server-side ad insertion addresses, along with a couple of others that we'll talk about, but one of the areas that it addresses is to, is, is to essentially try to reduce or eliminate ad blocking, such that the player doesn't know whether the content is a, whether what's coming, whether the call is to, to a piece of content or to an ad, it can't differentiate the two, and therefore if it blocks anything, it blocks everything. And when that happens, then obviously as a consumer, you say I'm gonna remove the ad blocker because I'm not able to see even my content. So those are the main challenges that we are seeing today. And um, so we kind of started working on Media Tailor a few years ago, a couple, of, a couple of three years ago. We launched it last, last year at reInvent. And the whole intention of, of Media Tailor is threefold. The first one is to address ad blockers. The second one is to make the user experience a lot TV-like so that you can have smooth, smooth experiences and not you know, a, a very disjoint experience when the Ads that are played are a different resolution, different bitrate, different quality, sound levels are different, all of that stuff that causes all this jarring impact and is to have better reporting overall. So having said that, I'm gonna hand to Alex. Alex, do you wanna take us through um, Media Taylor? Sure, thank you, Adlan. All right, so um, as Adlan mentioned, we launched Media Taylor last year. Um, so I'm just gonna set some context for how Media Taylor works, how you incorporate part of your workflow, um, some additional considerations around integrating Media Tailor and just general video tech um, considerations. Then I'll finally turn over to Mark to talk about how he hopefully kept in mind some of these considerations when um, launching Pac-12's TV Everywhere use case. All right. So Media Tailor, um, there's a lot of text here, but basically um, with server-side ad insertion in general and with Media Tailor, ads are better monetized. And specifically, they're better monetized because um, there's consistency in video quality as you're going from content to ads. And consistency in video quality is paramount because um, there's a Pew Research study that showed, I think it was 64% of um, people install ad blockers because they experience rebuffers or, um, or just uh, slow start video startup times because of all those um, round trips that a client makes with an ad manager or an ad server. Um, with, and that's very common client side. Of course, if you move to server side, the network calls are um, from server to server and the round trips are minimized. And you, of course, get more seamless content to ads experience because the fragments, the segments themselves, are transcoded in a consistent way. Um, secondly, with Media Tailor and with server side ad insertion, you get a more consistent um, reporting experience, you get either server-side reporting or client-side reporting. Um, server-side reporting allows um, the service itself to report to the ad server that an ad has been watched and, um, uh, and keeps track of that across all sessions that have been instantiated against the service. With client-side reporting, 
This, of course, requires more client-side changes. Um, the player is responsible for parsing um, usually a sidecar file and then reporting whether or not an ad has been watched. And finally, um, you get control over um, the many other components that go behind MediaTailor, um, whether that be an origin service, whether it be SCSI hardware, whether it be um, your CDN, your ad server, or your player. Um, we try to be as agnostic as possible to those other components. All right, so I'm gonna walk through how all of this fits together in a typical video workflow um, involving MediaTailor um, all the way from your encoder to um, your viewer. So let's see if this works. All right, so we'll start from the device. So you have uh, potentially hundreds of different types of devices here, whether it be Roku, Apple TV, you know, um, connected TVs, and so forth. Going through um, a CDN, um, and from that CDN, there's a request going back to MediaTailor, and for MediaTailor, we provision a configuration-specific endpoint. Um, you can see here in the URL. So this call is a get what we call the get manifest API call. So that's essentially the player request for a playback session um, for the manifest in the HLS case, which is the M3 U8 file. Synchronous with that request, we make a request back to your origin service. In this case, it's media package, which is Elemental, AWS Elemental's origin service and packaging service. But of course, this origin service can be any HTTP, HTTPS accessible origin, whether it be S3, Media Store, which is um, another origin service that Elemental, AWS Elemental offers, um, or some other web server here. Um, with that request, we will get a response back from your origin that produces what we call the template manifest. And the template manifest is essentially the canonical view of the world on what the content and ad breaks are. Um, so that canonical manifest, that template manifest, will then get manipulated based on per session attributes coming from the player. Um, and of course, feeding into that origin is an encoder where you are publishing segments into that origin, complete with SCSI markers um, that demarcate where the ad breaks are in that content stream. So once we see uh, that template manifest has a ad break opportunity within the manifest, so this will be demarcated by uh, what we call Qout markers um, within the manifest, we will make a request out to your ad server here. And this ad server could be DFP, could be Freewheel, could be some other third-party vast compliant server. And we will send along any metadata that is coming from your device um, that are arbitrary key value pairs that you specify, whether it be user agents or um, exported for headers, um, client IPs, and so on. So then following that, we will get the vast response from your ad server. We will parse that XML. We will find within that XML if there are any creatives that are referenced that have not been transcoded yet. If it has not been transcoded, we will queue up transcode jobs um, in a separate service, that we, internal service that we maintain um, that we call the 
um, transcoding service. And there, we will transcode the creatives to the same specification as, um, what we as what we discover from the content segments in your manifest, so that the content and ad segments are identical in transcodes. And following that, we will finally stitch in, um, for that session, for that device, the transcoded segments, um, transcoded ad segments, as well as the content segments, and stitch that into a unified manifest. So all these server-to-server um, call, server -server calls between the vast server and us are happening um, server-side. When we present back that personalized manifest to the device, the device will see, um, in HLS case at least, URLs, com uh, absolute URLs that refer to where your content origin is and absolute URLs to where the ad origin is, which we, where we store ad segments on S3. Um, of course, you could present those URLs as CDN URLs so that those ad segments and content segments are cached on your CDN for um, distribution to many end users. The manifest itself is not cacheable anymore on a CDN because they're personalized and session specific. So following that, of course, as customers are, your customers are playing back all those ad and content segments. We are doing server-to-server -server reporting to your ad server that a specific session has ads being watched. And that's done on a segment-to-segment -segment basis, where if the first ad segment is retrieved, we know that the start beacon within the advertising world should be fired. If the third be uh, segment, because um, say an ad has six segments long, if the third segment is being requested, then we should fire the midpoint beacon, and so on. So this is a um, sort of end-to-end -end workflow um, with Media Tailor as essentially man in the middle here um, across the origin, CDN, encoder, and device. Um, there's actually a lot of considerations when integrating Media Tailor, and especially when integrating a, or a video workflow, an OTT video workflow involving advertising. So I'll just briefly touch on a small subset of those that may be interesting. So one of them is just player considerations. Um, there's, within HLS and of course within Dash as well, there's a concept of discontinuities. Discontinuities happen when there are low level changes between segment to segment. So these low level changes happen, um, could potentially happen between a content segment and ad segment. Now, visually, of course, as a viewer, um, the content and ad segment could appear the same. Resolution, bit rate, even frame rate, and things like that are the same. But there are small things like GOP sizes, which is essentially the segment size, um, like B-frame cadence, and other just low-level encoder settings that are different between those segments that could cause typical, especially older versions of uh, certain players to not render them correctly, or at least buffer and stall when playing back those segments. So it's really important to figure out whether or not your player can handle discontinuities. And here's a real quote from a customer where they want to force discontinuities between content and ad segments, where their content, they're streaming 4K sports. They want sports to be, the content itself to be 60 frames per second, but they prefer the ads to be 30 frames per second. And that obviously creates a very disjointed um, discontinuity between ad and content segments. So they had to make sure that their players could handle that. 
And within um, the HLS manifest, at least, the playback manifest we present to the viewer, the discontinuity you can see right here happens at the boundary between the content segment. You can see from this URI, there's the media package content segment and an ad segment. So we, uh, Media Tailor inserts this discontinuity to signal to the player, hey, when decoding these two segments, you should expect everything to change. Um, and you should be prepared for that change. The other important thing is to keep track of discontinuity sequence, which is this tag that is maintained at the top of the HLS manifest. Discontinuity sequence, according to the HLS spec, allows your player to keep track of discontinuity markers across variant playlists. So um, people could be familiar with HLS, but for those who are not, um, HLS has the concept of many, many um, what we call variant playlists within a master playlist. The variant playlists are different qualities of, play, um, of playlists. So you could have one at 1080p resolution, you could have one at 720p resolution, and so on. And that allows your player to step up or down in quality seamlessly as your viewer is watching content so as to not cause buffering. So sometimes it's okay to watch um, a lower resolution or uh, a lower bitrate of content um, as you're on your 4G um, or 3G phone compared to um, watching it on the big screen. But players sometimes need to keep track of variant switches as they happen, and that happens with the discontinuity sequence marker right here. So that marker increments every time a discontinuity tag rolls off the top of the manifest. Really important um, consideration for the player. The other consideration is, um, this, is this is common in ad insertion, but it could happen with content segments as well, is whether or not your player can handle very, very small segments. Because um, we believe players, uh, at least is our hypothesis, but there's definitely some, um, it's particular to different players. Um, players keep a buffer of certain amount of segments in their memory in order to play back content seamlessly. But then when you suddenly have a very small segment, for example, here you see these are three second segments, that's what this tag means. Then suddenly there's a 0 .03 second segment, that's essentially a um, one frame segment at 30 frames per second. Um, the player might buffer and um, during, that, during that period. So it's really important to make sure that your player can um, handle these small segments and not be buffer-starved during um, these situations. And this is very common in ads because um, there's many transcodes happening and ads are obviously not uh, perfectly 30 seconds. They can be 30.03 seconds or 31.2 seconds and so on. Okay. The other important thing is to consider HLS drift. Uh, now, drift is, um, in HLS at least, um, what we mean by that is as you're inserting new content into a playlist, you could potentially push out um, the existing content further and further away from the live edge. So consider this case where this is a, um, the XML response from Vast. 
So within this XML response from Vast, uh, this certain ad server is telling us that the duration of this ad is 30 seconds with you know, second uh, level accuracy. But when you run um, media info on this actual ad, ad creative, it's actually 30 seconds and 123 milliseconds. Um, so it's not exactly 30 seconds long. And now when you insert, when you transcode this and insert that into the allotted time within a ad break. So the allotted time within an ad break coming from the origin was 30 seconds. The origin said, hey, you have a 30 second ad break, um, insert 30 seconds worth of ads. We may insert um, actually 30 seconds and 123 milliseconds of ads into that 30 second ad break. And as a result, we've pushed out the live edge by 123 milliseconds because the live edge is now obviously 123 milliseconds away from where the video player is playing for that specific playback session. So as you can imagine, as this happens with over many, many breaks, um, multiple 30-second ad breaks, this could result in the player getting further and further away from the live edge. So that's something to keep in mind um, when planning out your breaks, to always have some leeway so that you can have the opportunity to pay back that live edge drift debt which is something that Media Taylor does. We try to keep track of how much debt has been accumulated in terms of drift and try to pay it back. Something else that's important, um, and I think Mark will probably talk about this too, is um, it's, as you have many, many different components in a live video workflow, especially one involving ads, there are many proxies in the middle, and Media Taylor is essentially a very advanced proxy. Um, it's important to instrument that proxy and figure out um, what's happening uh, in playback sessions when things go wrong. So it's important to have a consistent you know, identifier, like a session ID identifier, perhaps a request ID identifier. It's important to know user agents and IP addresses um, of playback sessions. And this is, some, this is a snippet from a MediaTaylor log. Um, because as you see things going wrong, or as you're trying to debug an issue, it's important to capture all this information um, as the session touches many different components in your workflow involving CDNs and manifest manipulators and origins and encoders. And yeah, just an illustration of the many components involved in your workflow. Okay, um, so finally, it's important to figure out whether or not um, when integrating a server-side insertion service, whether you wanna rely on server-side reporting or client-side reporting. Um, with server-side reporting here, um, we have a log snippet of what happened during this session. With server-side reporting, beaconing is happening, essentially beaconing is uh, us tracking whether or not an ad has been watched from between Media Tailor and between your ad server. So in this scenario, the amount of player changes is minimal because Media Tailor is doing the heavy lifting of telling your ad server whether or not ad segments are being downloaded for a specific playback session and then be telling the ad server that um, they should increment the count for that session or increment the count for that impression. The, of course, the disadvantage of server-side reporting is that it doesn't really allow for more granular playback metrics. 
because certain ads, especially in more video-on-demand world, um, advertisers want really granular uh, metrics, such as whether or not somebody has paused during a playback of an ad, or whether somebody has fast-forwarded or tried to rewind um, during playback of the ad. And with each of those events, your player is supposed to catch those events and fire off a notification to um, the ad server. And of course, from a server-to-server -server, um, standpoint, we have no visibility into what's happening on the playback device, that you know, a pause is happening or a, um, a click event is happening, for example. So that's a disadvantage, where you don't get visibility into those kinds of metrics. So that brings us to client-side reporting. And the client-side reporting, here's an example of a um, sidecar file, uh, essentially a JSON response from um, this API you call um, asynchronously with the um, get manifest request. So your player is making a get manifest request to media tailor, trying to get playback um, information for what it should play back. But then separately, it's calling a separate endpoint to figure out what the ad breaks are. Um, so now this separate side sideband channel is important because video players, for ad blocking reasons, now can no longer demarcate between or distinguish between ads and content. So they need a sideband channel to figure out what's an ad and what's content. So this JSON response gives them that information, and it includes information such as you should fire off, you should do this when um, you pause the player, you should do that when you try to fast forward during the ad. And this, of course, requires more player work because your player now needs to parse through this JSON response and fire off those beacons as those events happen. All right. Um, so with that, um, I'm going to turn it over to Mark, who's going to hopefully talk about how he kept in mind some of these challenges and his journey to integrating MediaTailor. Thanks. Thank you. All right. So uh, I'm Mark Kramer from Pac-12 Networks. Uh, you heard what I do earlier. Um, so I want to give you a, a sort of a, I don't know how many people are familiar with Pac-12 Networks and the Pac-12. want to give you a quick video that shows you what we do, because I think uh, I could tell you for 10 minutes, or you can watch for two and see all the awesome content that our, our, our company creates. As a child, you would wait and watch from far away, but you always knew that you'd be the one to work while they all play, and you... There's honestly nothing in life that compares to that feeling you get from performing. It's beautiful. It truly is. This is every little kid's dream. Life and success is a game of details. Anderson. Wow, what a comeback. You gotta love that fearlessness. What a win. Boy, can she fly. Nobody does it better. 
Conference Tournament Champion, Arizona. You guys have fought a hell of a battle. Let's go. Let's finish this thing. Oregon Ducks. Prove yourself, your spirit never Pick it up. Pick it up. This is what you're working towards. You're part of us. You know, we're not going to look at you different. We're not going to judge you. It is about championships. That's where the bar is set. At the end of the day, we all want to be national champions. Stanford have done it. Stanford have done the three-peat. USC national champions. We welcome you onto the field right now. We'll make them the best players they can be. I can guarantee you that. USC has a blind snapper, and his name is Jake Olson. The snap is perfect. The kick is up, and the kick is good. The most perfect snap I've ever seen. I want to be around this game the rest of my life. We all go out there and we play for each other. There's only two things that last forever from the collegiate experience, and that's who you become and who you impact. So that's Pac-12 Networks. Uh, so Pac-12 Networks is wholly owned by the Pac-12 Conference, the Conference of Champions. Uh, it's a 100-year-old organization, 100-year-old plus, uh, with over 500 national championships in its history, more than any other conference by a very, very significant margin. Uh, Pac-12 Networks is, is interesting, and it has a very unusual business model in so much that we're wholly owned by the schools, uh, unlike any other a sports TV network, um, and you can see all of our fantastic schools up there. Our mission is to connect fans to the Pac-12 uh, universities and sports that they love, and that's a really important thing to us because it's the lens by which we think about all the decisions we make. And the way that my team connects fans is with technology, and we're going to talk about that in depth today. Um, we've got seven linear television networks that are delivered uh, to fans on great cable providers like Xfinity, Dish, Fubo, Sling, uh, Cox, Frontier, and many more. Um, and we also deliver that uh, to consumers in our digital uh, app. Uh, we deliver a TV Everywhere experience, which we're going to focus on today. So our seven linear TV networks, plus a bunch of ad hoc uh, content that's created by our schools. Uh, it's all delivered in, in Pac-12 now. And uh, Oprah Moment, you get Pac-12 now, and you get Pac-12 now, and you can go, go to the App Store or Google Play and download today for your phone. Uh, we stream on iOS, Android, works with Chromecast, AirPlay. Uh, so get it today, and you can see what we're, we're, what we're doing here. Watch some ads, hopefully. Um, the content that we deliver every year, uh, 850 live games on our uh, TV networks, that's a really big challenge when we start thinking about DAI because live is hard and live sports is even harder. Um, we also do another 350 games that are digital only on our digital platforms, uh, 250 hours of studio programming, another 300 hours of original programming. That's all the stuff that you saw in the video and I thought, you know, we can say this, but I think you seeing it really gets, gives you sort of the power of the content that we're creating. Um, so TV's in an interesting spot right now, as you probably know. There's a lot going on in the industry, and sports is actually uh, in an interesting spot. And uh, you know, earlier you saw um, Coach Pete from, uh, from UW and our UW golfer, and now we've got a Utah fan here. Shout out to the Pac-12 football championship this Friday. Come down to Levi Stadium in Santa Clara if you're in the area and watch that, or watch it on, on TV at 5 p.m. PM Pacific. Um, but I think that picture is an awesome picture, number one, it, shout out also to Utah coming back big time on BYU on, on uh, Saturday, spotted them 21 points and came roaring back and won that game. 
but it also shows a picture of, of, of what we're facing in attracting fans today. You know, we've got to know who you are. We've got to have a single view of the fan. We've got to deliver the right experience. So personalization is really important. Uh, creating ubiquitous experiences for fans. So when we, t we call them on the phone and they get sold tickets and they come to our app and they watch content, it needs to be catered to them. Uh, it, they need to feel special. They're really important to us. Um, and so with that, you know, let's talk about more of what fans love, ads. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, it's sort of a joke, but it's actually not. I, I think giving, giving our, our fans uh, more relevant content is always a great idea. Plus, it's a great revenue opportunity for us. Being wholly owned for our schools, uh, it's important that we drive revenue to help support athletics on those campuses and, and return as much revenue as we possibly can to them. And this is a really big part of that story. So that's where uh, Media Tailor comes in. Setting up Media Tailor is really easy. You just fill out that form. Just uh, there's like uh, I think six form fields, maybe eight. Eight if you go to the hit the uh, advanced options down at the bottom. Um, but that's kind of a joke because uh, the the AWS stack makes life really easy for us. But the things around it are really the place that you would spend time. And what I'm hoping you'll get from me today are the things that you would consider if you had a TV network or you were trying to do live TV and you wanted to do server-side ad insertion. What are, the, what are the pitfalls and what can you learn? So I'll walk you through our, our journey at a very high level here. Um, up until this season, we were doing things the quote-unquote old-fashioned old way. We were sending RTMP in six renditions up to Akamai and doing universal repackaging into HLS that was set up six years ago by our original OVP partner who helped us launch our networks. Uh, we've only been around for, this is our seventh season. Um, and so it was time to, to, to move on from that and move to a better solution and something that would enable the kinds of workflows we're talking about today. So in June, we uh, started working on, on deploying our entire uh, linear streaming infrastructure on the AWS Elemental Cloud. And so we migrated our seven channels up there. Uh, we also, in the middle of this, took on one of the biggest projects of my career. We rebuilt our master control. And master control, who here knows about master control? So master control is where, is where your TV network is sort of assembled on the way out. It's, you know, you're going to insert ads there. You're going to do automation for play out. It's, it's a lot of technology. Um, we've got an awesome partner in Comcast. We really love those guys. And uh, that project went off without a hitch and really enables the next thing in this, which is uh, our media tailor and freewheel integration. So we're running media tailor for, for stitching and freewheel for the ad delivery. Um, and then we made changes to our apps and we really did a lot to try to minimize that. And we'll talk about that in a second. So um, let's jump in really quick. So we did it by the book. This is really like, I could have drawn it, but then I was like, it's already on the homepage of the AWS Elemental site, so let's just grab their diagram, because that's what we're doing. Um, the, the content that, that we source comes out of our facility, um, and I'll touch on that a little bit. We are renowned for at-home production. Uh, instead of, of pulling up a gigantic truck to all these events, we do hundreds of events where the, the cameras and microphones and a very small crew is out on site. We actually use our production facility as the truck and we do it all over IP. 
And we've got 10 gig uh, connections into over 100 venues. And now that's also direct connected to AWS. So we're going to do some really cool stuff with that in the future. And maybe my talk next year, which won't be up against the beer, will feature what we're doing with that. Anyway, so this is what we're doing. Um, and uh, why don't we get into to this a little bit more? So um, we feed our encoders uh, out of master control or off of the master control. Essentially, we're pushing a, a five megabit uh, mezzanine RTP FEC into the uh, AWS Elemental Media Live encoders. We do A and B sides, so pr you know primary redundant um, or primary backup on that stuff. Um, we're pushing nine renditions. Our top end rendition is five megabits at 1080. We go all the way down to audio only. We did a lot of research that showed that um, giving a user a higher quality rendition makes them watch longer. And so we, we sort of sculpted our profiles to that. Um, we push uh, to media package as origin. Again, we're stitching those ads with media tailor integrated with, uh, with Freewheel, and we deliver via CDM. So let's go here. Okay. So uh, our requirements when we started the DAI project, pretty straightforward. We want to cover all the linear TV ads. Up until this season, all those ads were from our linear channel were just flowing through to TV everywhere. Now we want to cover them completely. So that means slating the ads and filling those, those breaks in, in, in their entirety with ads. Um, one of the things that you should know is we're talking a lot about ads, but really we need to think about breaks. When you make a request to, to Media Tailor, we're actually saying the break duration, and you're going to bring back enough ads to fill that if you can. Um, so we wanted, to, we wanted to get all the ads covered. Um, we, we needed to deal with dynamic break durations. Let's talk about break durations. How long are they in sports? If it were a recorded TV show, we would know that we would have two minutes of ads every six or eight minutes. In live sports, it's completely dynamic. So one of the challenges that we had to focus on was how do you calculate that in real time out of your master control system when you're running off of a, off of a singular uh, delivery pipeline. I'll show you that in a second. And then we wanted to be able to, to, to highlight and, and, and target users specifically. So unique user IDs. We saw one good reason why, debugging. Another reason uh, is just uh, things like being able to do frequency capping very helpful for you with that. And then custom segmentation. How do we target based upon sports, schools, programs, what network they're watching, device, you name it. And we wanted to get all that stuff in. So um, contrary to my previous slide, uh, making DAI work within an existing workflow and apps is actually pretty hard <laughs> um, because of these four things. Uh, Scuddy, who here knows what Scuddy is? Oh, good. Oh, wow, a lot of people know Scuddy. This is great. Okay, so I won't go, go too deep into what Scuddy is, but Scuddy is a, a standards body that creates standards, and you've got to know them <laughs> to make this work, and you're going to have to read a lot of documentation. We'll talk about that. CDN, pretty darn tricky. Um, player, app, player and application changes. So here's the deal. You've got a, an app that's been around for five or six years. It's got millions of downloads. How quickly does it update when you push a new release? not as fast as you want. So if you want to go fast, you probably need to find another way to push information in uh, to be able to identify users. And then testing in QoE is uh, not an insignificant challenge. So moving on. So here's, here's where we are, and I'm, I'm kind of grossly generalizing a lot of things here. Like, it's very funny to say, like, and that's at-home production. Like, <laughs> this huge network that we've built out in this, these studios. But uh, on the left side of the slide, 
This is really about the technology that makes our production and operations happen. It's our studios, it is uh, our pre-recorded content which lives in S3, uh, our live content that flows in from studios and venue that goes to master control right here. Again, grossly simplified master control. The key point here is we're, we're, we're driving all of our break scheduling out of our traffic system. Okay, and this is video signal flow from here. So, right, we're gonna follow that out. At the fork in the road, it's gonna go to the distribution side of our chart. So this is uh, us sending it out to cable providers uh, and us sending it out to our encoders, which then go out to consumers. So that gives you an idea of, 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 some, of the, some of the tricks involved in this. One video path, one break duration path consideration, and your SCUDI messages are gonna come out of here and flow here, and they're gonna go two different places and have two different consumers and what could go wrong. All right, so a little bit more about that. Um, here's a great graphic, and I'm gonna read you this, 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 this part of the, this because I think it illustrates the challenge. So this is, this is a, 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 a diagram from SCUDI uh, freely available in their documentation. And what it says is, this diagram provides a high-level overview of the major entities, components, and interfaces that will play a role in the SCUDI advanced advertising ecosystem. It is intended for a technical audience, uh, is intended for a technical audience familiar with cable technology but not SCUDI standards as a graphical representation of an idealized uh, 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 representative architecture. It is intentionally vague, and I think vague is a very important word here, uh, is intentionally vague about implementation choices and lacks many details of an actual system. And this was our problem. Okay, so lots of people know a lot of, a few things about SCUDI, but nobody knows everything about it. And so this is pretty much, if you look under the covers of what we're doing, what, like what's going on, right? I'm not going to go through it because we're almost out of time. But what I would say is, is, is this stuff here is, is, is indicative of the journey that you should, you're, you should expect. Um, so sure, you're gonna get into SCUDI 35 when it hits the encoder, but getting there is gonna, be, is gonna take a lot when you can fit, consider the entire ecosystem. So here's what we did. Um, our SCUDI signals are written to the HL, HLS manifest. Um, so one of the challenges here is that our MVPD partners are allotted a subset of ads. Uh, and it, it travels on 104 because it's HDSDI often for those guys. And so we can't mess up our affiliates ads. And we want to cover all the ads, but they only get a subset of the ads. So we've got a lot of considerations. So we're using ad avails, which is detailed in SCUDI 67 using a time signal command followed by a segmentation descriptor with a placement opportunity and duration inside. And we could spend a lot of time talking about how that works, but the duration lives inside the SCUDI signal and we're crafting that out of our automation playout system. And that took a lot of work to work with that vendor to do. Big ups to them for getting it done. Our elemental encoders trigger on that series of messages um, which generally is ignored by older, I, older IRDs. IRDs are what cable providers often pull, use to pull down your signal. Um, but just for safety, uh, Comcast sends a splice insert with a splice type reserve zero, which makes sure they don't trigger it. So far, it's worked pretty good. So a lot of detail in there, and I just gave you word soup. Everyone's impl implementation is going to be a little bit different. I think the point you should take away is you're gonna probably need to find some stuff that looks like this out there. And this shows you the pass-through of fields from 104 to 35. 
And so you're passing through data from point to point. This is page 42, by the way, in the SCUDDY 104 spec. And so just like if you only take one thing away from me today, if you work in HDSDI, go look at that page. You're going to be golden. Uh, okay. So moving on, let's talk CDN here. Uh, so Alice did a really awesome job of explaining how you need to think about CDN. You can't cache manifests in playlists anymore. They're unique to every user. So what we've done here is uh, we are requesting manifest, which passes back to media package. I want to talk about media package in a second because it's, it's awesome, but it's got some things that are, are really awesome, but you got to be careful. Um, so zero seconds on that, zero seconds on the tracking beacon. And so we, we do 30 minutes on our segments from both Media Tailor and from Media Package. Uh, we're live, so it's having a long uh, TTL on those doesn't make a ton of sense. The things that I, I, would, I would point out here that I think are important is you need to be able to do advanced logic inside of your CDN config. Likely, you're going to have a lot of use cases that come up that you hadn't anticipated that are going to require you to be able to have exceptions. The other thing is, is you have got to, got to, got to sanitize every single request at the edge that goes back. And the reason for that is, is multifold. Number one, you've got to deal with, with URL parameters. Even if you're using DRM if, and you're encrypted, you're still going to get nasty requests from bad people on the internet, and they're going to send all kinds of parameters in. And because you have, uh, you have media package, which is an incredibly powerful thing, but is not a, an, a normal origin. It's not Nginx that's going to stupidly serve back the content. It's a dynamic web application. It may write those parameters into the manifest. And hey, bad news for you. If that's happening intermittently, you're going to have all kinds of playback problems on things like iOS, which are going to say no way. The other thing you should know is course headers are set dynamically, so you've got to filter those at the edge. And then the, the, um, the last part, just for good measure, filter the headers that re get, get returned. There's no reason to, to, to let everybody know what your backend technology is. We love AWS. They're fantastic. Nobody needs to know at the edge that we're using it. They could do some forensics and see press releases and stuff like that, but why make it harder on ourselves than it needs to be? All right, so that's CDN some considerations. Oh, one more thing, actually, that I think is important to, to, to call out here. Uh, in the request chain here, we're showing things that we know, but sometimes you get other things in there that there's other requirements that you hadn't considered that this can cause some really big challenges with. I'll give you a couple quick examples. We use uh, a clipping service for social media highlights. You can go in and, 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 and click and clip uh, highlights off and send them directly to social, which makes a lot of sense to run off this backbone, right? But if you've got this in front of it, there's a lot of redirecting that happens, it breaks it. We've seen the same exact behavior with delivering this to an IPTV. Sometimes in stadiums, we want to give one of our schools an IPTV access. So what, the way that we've been able to deal with that, and then there's some, some bonus features on that, is actually hanging off another CDN config off the side of media package that just completely skips this. It's a low amount of users on it, so we know we can control it. The other thing that, that's enabled is us to be able to distribute internationally and allow an international partner to do DAI. How cool is that? And you can deliver internationally for pennies. They put a CDN in front of your CDN, you're passing through, and it works, works pretty darn good. All right. 
So moving on, uh, let's talk about player changes. So we didn't want to do a lot of player changes. We've got a pretty small team. Trying to keep through multiple players in sync is a nightmare. So we thought, how do we do as much as we possibly can at the edge? So we are doing device detection at the edge. Uh, we're sweetening requests back to or, or, or concatenating on uh, uh, parameters at the edge back to Media Tailor to be able to pass in information for better targeting. Really, the only things that we wanted to put into our players were unique user IDs. We knew we had to do that. So we're doing it on the web with the cookie. We're using device ID on iOS and Android per the recommendations from both Apple and Google. Um, and then the last part of it is um, with something like Freewheel, we're able to actually inject data on a data feed that gives program metadata without having to do it out of our player applications. Trying to keep that in sync doesn't make sense. So we can push up program names, program times, what networks, what schools and sports, all the metadata we want can push in. And that can be used to target because we know that if you're watching at 2 p.m. on Wednesday that we've got a volleyball game and that's what, what's going through and we can target the content that way. Um, all right, so let's quickly talk about um, testing in QE. It's really hard. There's a lot of components in the ecosystem that you've got to test, and you have to be able to test them all uh, individually. And so certainly when you're getting your SCSI implementation in, in place, what I would recommend is you have some sort of POC. Uh, this is sage advice from, from our guy Greg O'Brien right here in the middle. Go talk to him about it. Um, props to that guy. Uh, uh, it's really hard to build this stuff out without a, a great POC to work up against. It's also hard to test because how often do ads play? And we saw things like discontinuities in there and short segments, trying to create all those conditions, especially in live with, with dynamic breaks, is tricky. Um, visibility into cloud services is relatively limited. It's not like you're running an elemental live encoder back in the old days and you'd go jump on the command line and tail a log and see everything though we still do a lot of that, it's not gonna happen necessarily in the cloud. You're gonna have to change your workflow. Um, so we definitely recommend CloudWatch. We, we love it and we use it a lot. Um, we're also using Orion OTT to monitor several parts of the chain in this. And we're using Mux on the client side, which I think Mux is a really fantastic tool because you wanna be able to see the entire side from what the consumer sees all the way through each step on this thing. And then finally, device testing is hard. There's a lot of devices out there and they all are very quirky and I think it'll get better in time, but it's, it feels like it's early in this stuff and certainly doing automated playback testing just doesn't seem that realistic for us. So it takes a lot, probably one of the biggest hurdles. So I think we can get, we can wrap it up on a few, few takeaways here. Um, so we were able to go super fast with this stuff. As a matter of fact, uh, so we, out of our seven networks, we launched Oregon on Media Tailor a few weeks back, and then yesterday, live from reInvent, during a session, not the session about it, but during action, an actual session, we launched another channel, uh, Pac-12 Mountain went live. All seven of our networks will be live here on December 3rd. It's our target, so assuming that everything goes well through the rest of the week, it's gonna be there, and we've been really excited about what that's meant for us with our team being able to change and iterate and come up with great new, new solutions for uh, our fans. Of course, you've got to expect some changes to the existing infrastructure. It's very fast on the AWS side. You're gonna learn how fast you can go on the rest of the things you're doing. And then if I said it once, I'll say it again, SCSI expertise is definitely a requirement. And that's what I got. Righto. <laughs> okay. 
So um, thank you very much. We are right on time. Nailed it. We made it exactly as the <laughs> clock turned to zero there. We have some conclusions for you. Um, nothing surprising. You're in the game here. Uh, advertising is important, continues to be important. We know that. We have just recently, YouTube just launched a movie service, 100 movies, ad only, no subscription. So that's going to continue to be a big play. And the rest of it makes um, three sense. I want to give you a quick uh, shout out to some of the sessions that are coming up that may be important to you, that you may be interested in uh, going and attending some of these sessions uh, tomorrow and Thursday. And finally, thank you very much. And please do fill out your survey. Thank you very much.